Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the biggest stories in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On this edition, the Shakhtar story. Donetsk progress in the Champions League with their minds on back home in Ukraine. Also, now we finally know what Antoine Griezmann costs in today's money. Is he worth it? And Mbappe's not happy. Is it a warning or is it a threat to PSG? Andy and David, a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. But should we start off with maybe stories that you have seen that have gone under the radar that we're not necessarily focusing on today, Andy, first? Well, there was a lot happening in the Champions League uh, this week. What caught my eye, and of course we talked about all the excitement of Xavi Alonso going to Leverkusen, win for him in our game of the week uh, last week against Schalke. Well, it's against Schalke. Uh, I think it's kind of what we expected. And um, yeah, he didn't quite get off the ground as he wanted to in the Champions League last night, losing 3-0 home to Porto. So after they got a, a thwacking earlier in the group by Club Brugge, um, they're, they're, in a, they're in a better spot having won both games against Leverkusen. Now, a good away performance from Porto, really improving in um, the last couple of weeks. Is Xavi as handsome when he loses as when he wins? Or According to some members of our production staff, even more so. There you go. When he loses. <laughs> yes. Oh, there you go. Uh, and David? Um, it has to be Napoli once again. Um, you know, just brilliant. They're, they're an outlier, I think, in football at the moment in terms of the way that they play. Uh, Spalletti has always had this about them, uh, about his sides. You know, Roma, I remember first, were were fantastic. Zenit as well, were impressive as well at times. Um, but everything seems to be coming together for this Napoli side. They've obviously got Kvac Killer, everyone's talking about at the moment, little George and Wonder Kid. But um, I think all around the park, I was really impressed with Osman once again. Um, and there was one particular standout moment, I think, uh, when Osman 
<laughs> he he targeted a, a, an old wounded gazelle in Daily Blind, and you could just see the fear in his eyes as Osman was stomping towards him. Um, with the mask and, on. Yeah, with the mask on as well, yeah, which makes it even more terrifying. Uh, robbed the ball and went and scored. And um, yeah, I think that kind of encapsulated what this Napoli team is about, and that is striking fear in the opponents. Can't help thinking of the Phantom of the Opera when I see them with the mask, but that's another story. <laughs> Andy, I'll tell you what, this Shakhtar story, it gets more and more incredible when you think about uh, Donetsk having to leave their home country, let alone, you know, just the city of uh, the, um, you know, the, the city that they're attached to. And going on in the Champions League to draw against Real Madrid in a week that arguably they'd be forgiven for not having their mind on the football. Yeah, and um, you know it could have been more than the draw. You know, they conceded that equaliser right at the end to uh, Antonio Rudiger. And um, yeah, in, in, a, in a way, I think in, in other contexts, you would um, say that it was, it, was, it was heartbreaking to concede that late equaliser. But actually in the context of where they are, it's just an equaliser in just a football match. You know, um, I talked to some of the players afterwards. I was I was there in Warsaw on Tuesday night to see Shakhtar give, and this is sometimes an overused epithet, a heroic performance, a genuinely heroic performance. You know, they, they, they were terrific. Um, those players had spent a lot of the day before the game, the Monday, um, just absorbing news from back in Ukraine about some of the... Um, attacks on Kiev um, causing a lot of fatalities in you know a city which they've been based um, for, for for many years since leaving Donetsk in a hotel and, and a training camp that's um, the, the property of their owner Rina Akhmatov so a, a lot of them very familiar with that and of course have friends and family back in a lot of the affected cities trying to get um, reports on those those friends and family it's no sort of preparation for anything uh, let alone a Champions League football match. And um, Lucinda Traore, uh, one of the few overseas players who's, who's still there, the Birkenabe from um, Ajax before, of course, um, he said to me afterwards, he said, look, I, I can't lie. It was it was a really awful day yesterday. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a really, really bad day. And, you know, he said it's about, you know, trying to support the players who are affected by that. And, you know, I, I think sometimes we can be a bit trite and say uh, players are, you know, inspired to do it for Ukraine and stuff like that. I think with a lot of what's going on, just to be able to put all that away for for 90 minutes and just concentrate on what's on the pitch, it's in a very small way some sort of relief. But it was by far their best performance in um, the Champions League so far this season, in which they've done pretty well against the odds. And, um, you know, I, I don't think many people out there would have said they didn't deserve to well, win. What, what's it like, though, when you're there in Poland, in Warsaw, you know, a long way away from uh, Kiev, let alone from Donetsk? Yeah. When you're there, what kind of, how do they feel about their adopted home ground, as it were, and how do supporters there feel about them? Well, there's this really special relationship, Dotton, between um, Ukraine and Poland, as, as, as we know, and to sort of say thanks for the unconditional support, there was a, this, this, this great, and to show the union between the two countries, there was this great choreo um, with, uh, before kickoff with um, all the fans holding up sort of coloured pieces of card to show the Ukrainian and Polish flags next to each other. Uh, which was uh, quite touching. 
um, you, you get chants from the crowd of uh, Slava Ukraini, um, uh, glory to Ukraine. Um, and what I found actually that, that there was a bit of feeling each other out in the first game against Celtic because it was out there for that as well. And um, I mean, there's obviously an enormous amount of goodwill towards Shakhtar and uh, Ukraine in general. And I think there's there's a sense of gratitude that they've brought Champions League football to the to, to the city where, you know, David was saying to me earlier, obviously Polish football's not in the, Polish domestic football's not in the, the, the best place at the moment. But I think it's interesting that, that it felt that this performance really inspired the fans because of course, you know, you can have goodwill, you can have empathy, but it's not the same as supporting a team from your place. Football is about place. It's about community, isn't it? And that's why everything that Shakhtar have done since they've been exiled over the last eight years is, is extraordinary, really. The winning trophies and getting into Europe, getting to a couple of uh, Europa League semi-finals, beating Real Madrid a couple of times, of course, although this would have been a bigger result than either of the wins under Luis Castro when they were still in, in, in Kiev, of course. But um, I think this time, you know, you had... Um, more sort of vocal support behind them. It feels like the city is adopting the team a, a, a little bit, and you had chance of Shakhtar and the, you know real encouragement this time, rather than you know gentle encouragement. There was there was a little bit, a little bit more. They're, they're growing together. Yeah, David. Um, it, even though there is support, growing support, as Andy says, for Shakhtar in Warsaw, there were quite a few Los Blancos um, supporters uh, across the mm. different sides of the stadium as well. They came to see a match yeah. and a lot of them wouldn't have been expecting Real Madrid to come <laughs> to yeah. Warsaw to play because, you know, Polish teams aren't really on that level of Champions League glory, are they? No, absolutely um, not. But were they disappointed? They would have been, I imagine. Um, what happened to Real Madrid? Did they show up? Um, they showed up. Uh, <laughs> but it's, I think, you know, there was always one eye on the Classico after this. I think, you know, it's a case of just, you know, not doing anything silly in this game. They made a few changes um, and also generally the performance was just, you know, I think it was about a 60-70%. I think they knew they could play 60-70% in this game and, and still get a, a result out of it. Um, and then when you've got experienced heads like Cruz, who I thought was fantastic, um, vintage performance from him. And it was quite telling that um, he was very vocal um, for the goal, telling Rudiger to, to stay up and to start attacking crosses more. And you could see Cruz was just swinging in a lot of crosses, a lot of balls, whether it be dead ball, whether it be a dead ball or whether while running the ball at his feet in, in play. Um, that, you know, he was telling Rudiger to get in the box and, and that paid off in the end and Rudiger managed to get the goal and, uh, and a pretty decent uh, whack on his head for his... Yeah, uh, I was going to say, well. it came at a price. What, 20 plus stitches? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, un unbelievable. Yeah. I, I can't believe Ancelotti was that happy about that before before yeah. the, the, the Classico, but it just shows the commitment of Rudiger. But that point you were making about Tony Kroos, actually, it's interesting that Real Madrid have got enough variety that on a night where, you know, I, th I think in terms of chances, you can't say they stole a point, even though it was mm. right at the end. Mm. Um, I think Shakhtar gave a much stronger, more coherent uh, performance than I think there was anyone would have expected. Like you've explained, there was something else behind Shakhtar as well. There was something else motivating them. So yeah, yeah. but but all, also I, I think that they were that they were more fluent. 
Yeah. You, you know, I, 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 I think you look at Bondar in defence, who's, who's brilliant. Sudakov in midfield. Sudakov is the one who stood out for me. I was gonna, yeah. I wanted to mention him. I thought he was fantastic. And again, you've you, you pointed out everything what's happened over the past eight years with Shakhtar and how they've been displaced and such, and they've carried on. They've also continued to produce really good young players. Well, that's the thing. I think that you look at the crisis actually, and they've gradually they've taken a lot of heavy financial losses in mm-hmm. this, this this near decade. And the way they've kept the link going with Donetsk is by putting efforts into the into the youth academy and uh, I, th- I think looking at younger Ukrainian players and developing younger Ukrainian players is kind of led them to the point where they're not completely stuck yeah. now uh, obviously Mikhailo Mudrik is the one that everyone points out and he had a, he had a good game but I, 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 yeah I, I didn't think he was the the, the standout player okay. there but from from the Madrid perspective David I, I think it's interesting that, that what we're saying about they've, they've got so much variety they've got so much quality one of the things that's always underrated about Tony Kroos his set pieces and his ability to get balls in the box yeah. you know it's, it's it's what he can do yeah. and that that cross when it was coming like for the for the goal I mean he'd had a couple already and you looked at it and when Trubin the goalkeeper started to come you think don't 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 come. You're, you're not going to get this. It's just one of those ones in the corridor of insertion. You were, you yeah. were, he didn't hear me. He didn't come. Right, okay. Yeah. You, were bit, you were a bit far away from him. I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, I think, as my granddad used to say, he put it on a 50 pence piece. Yes. The placement was that. Perfect. It used to be a sixpence in my days, yeah. but you know, you inflation. <laughs> but you know, if we're to say that Shakhtar Donetsk had their minds partly on other things, even during this uh, this matchup, Real Madrid, you're suggesting, had their minds on other things as well, which is the Clasico. Mm. Okay, they didn't need to win this match in um, in uh, Warsaw, but and I get that Barcelona are almost. Well, they're going to struggle to to hang on to a Champions League position, aren't they? They're, That'd be a miracle if they get yeah, there. Yeah, well, a miracle. So they've got their minds focused on the league. Yeah. And this Clasico could make the difference, couldn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think this is a key point in their season. Taking that loss, and if they were to lose a Clasico as well, it's a thing where you kind of potentially lose the rest of the team for the rest of the season. Or you react to it. It's a very, still a very young side in places. Um, how they react in that Clasico is going to be a really big barometer of... of how that squad is um, and where they are. Uh, Xavi's going to look at them closely, I think, especially in training and such this week, how they react to that, how they react to disappointment to a big, big setback with everybody watching them. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see how they how they apply themselves in that classical. I mean, clearly Xavi's made an, a, an incredible difference to the atmosphere around Barcelona. And, of course, you know, you look at the work behind the scenes to get in the players that they've got. Um we talked last week with Miguel about the financial, possible financial implications of not getting in the, the second um, round of the, the, the Champions League. So I, I want to leave that there. But in terms, of, in terms of playing, it's been almost relentlessly positive since Xavi arrived. I mean, I remember like this time last year where they weren't qualifying for the second round of the Champions League, well, 11 months ago. I, I saw them against Benfica in the pouring rain at a third full Camp Nou. And yet, still, you know, there was a passionate local support behind Xavi. He'd, he'd changed everything already, even though the team wasn't quite up to it. Now, of course, they've got better players. There's um, a, a bigger expectation. If, as you were saying, they fail to beat Inter and then get beaten in the Classico, I mean, how does that change things for Javi. I mean, that that would be potentially the most difficult week that he's faced, wouldn't it? Given it would. that that there's been that raise in expectation. 
yeah, very early in his managerial career. But yeah, he would start to be questioned. Uh, right now, I think more focus is actually on <laughs> two players uh, he used to play with in Piquet and Busquets. Mm. Right now, I think the spotlight's on them and how they are coping or not coping, so be it. Um, I think that's where everything is right now. At the moment, nobody is still ruthlessly questioning Xavi. If they were to lose the classical in a pretty emphatic manner, say Real Madrid will win 3 0 at a canter pretty easy and you know never and again playing within themselves then I think he will be severely severely questioned and there's also th- something he's got to, I think these big decisions are going to have to be made surrounding PK and Busquets he's going to have to move on for them obviously it's difficult at the moment with their defensive issues I think Koundé um, is back in training um, he's looking like he's going to make the classical so I mm. think they're are big decisions there. That's going to be the first big decisions, I think, of Xavi's managerial career is surrounding Piquet and Busquets and when to phase them out. Well, while El Clasico is on this weekend, Shakhtar have a derby of their own. Um, They're supposed to be playing Dynamo Kiev in what is known colloquially as the Ukrainian Clasico. They're supposed to be playing them this weekend in Lviv, which is in Western Ukraine. It looks like it's going to go ahead, but the match could still be called off given the ongoing Russian attacks. A reminder that you can tweet us at any time during the course of the week at Football Ramble, at Dotson, at Ibayo, at Andy Brassel and at David Jacob. That's J-A-C-A. Uh, we want to talk about Antoine Griezmann. Before that, though, we've got to give a nod to Club, well, I call it Bruges still, but it's Brugger, isn't it, Andy? It is when you're talking about the clubs. You'll be teaching me how to <laughs> suck eggs, I know. But yeah, Club Brugger, as we um, now know it, and we'll forever know it as, they've done remarkably well, though, haven't they? Given, you know, that nobody expects Brugge uh, to come away with anything in the Champions League. No, I, they? I, not... I mean, their history in this competition is like a long way back. We're thinking when Liverpool were making their their, their name in Europe in in in, in the seventies, um, but you know them qualifying for the the last sixteen the Champions League is is an incredible achievement and you know all power to them for for managing that. But I I th- I think there are there are two elements that are worth considering. Firstly, where everyone else in in the group is, uh, Leverkusen have had a very difficult season. Porto as we've said, they've started to turn it around in the group and they've started to turn it around domestically as well after various issues um, on and off the field um, and losing a lot of big players. And Atletico Madrid will, will, will come to them in a little minute. So I think it's it's a doable group. It was a doable group for Club Brugge and they've, they've proved that. But I think the second thing to point out is David, they've been building up to this for a, a number of years. Like, if you look at the last four or five seasons in the Champions League, you know, there's some continuity there. The Champions in Belgium for three years in a row. You go back and you look at some really eye catching results. Like, you look at beating Leipzig, you look at um, almost beating Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. You know, if you go back like three, four years, um, right at the very end when um, Emmanuel Dennis was one of, one of the players who, who scored there. And uh, they gave a fantastic performance there. 
but I, 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 so so I, I feel they have been moving in this direction. But I think a lot of people will look at them and say, okay, well they lost Charles de Quetelera to, to to Milan in in the summer after that's the your best player, wasn't it? Yeah, the most protracted of all protracted transfer sagas, and that is saying a lot. The, the, the way that it takes to to get a transfer done from top to tail these days. Um, and they've they, they've they've got past that. And I think one of the key points is they've replaced him with another young superstar. Indeed. Um, and we've just been speaking about Barcelona and it's somebody who came from there, Ferran Jutkla. Um, he came from Barca's academy. Um, he starred in their B team. Um, there was a feeling that he was ready for the step up, but Barcelona didn't have room in their squad for him. They sold him on five million. Bruges are probably going to, you know, get about 15, 20 million for him, I think. Um, the way that he's playing. Uh, very, very exciting forward player. It's always interesting to see these players when they're outside of the, the top five leagues. I remember when uh, everyone used to talk about Jonathan Soriano as well, when when he was just playing outside those top five leagues, but when he played in the Champions League or European level, they were like, oh, all right, who's this? And uh, Ferran's the the same in, in that sense. And uh, yeah, very interesting striker. I think he can do it all. He's uh, He can hold up the ball. He can score. Um, he's shown he can assist as well. Um, He's quite a problem, um, and there's going to be a lot of teams. I think looking at him, I think they might. Some teams might even try and snare him in January. I don't think they will, and it'll have to be in the summer. I, I, I wonder if Barcelona had built in that sort of more organic, sensible way that a lot of clubs would have built. If you build around, you know, that young midfield that they've mm. got, I, I think he was good enough to play minutes for Barcelona this season. I what think, do you reckon? I think he certainly was, but like you said, they have they've decided to go another way. Mm. I think there was a there's impatience there. If you look at all their transfers, there's an impatience. They want to. They know that they need to produce now. Uh, their fans aren't going to wait two, three years. I think some will. A small percentage of people who really believe in the academy and what have you uh, would be happy to have a few years kind of just on the fringes as they work out who they are and regain the identity that um, you'd associate with Barcelona. And Ferran's somebody who should have been a part of that, I think, but they decided to go another way. Here we go. Um, really, we should be talking about Club Brugge, but we end up talking about Barcelona. I'm going to mm. bring it back to Club Brugge. How far can they go in this? First time in their history that they've made, made it out to the knockout stages of the Champions League. Well, they've looked so assured so so far. And we've seen some of that poise in recent years, as, as we were saying. I, I think what was interesting, they get this nil-nil result uh, at Atletico on, on Wednesday night and to go through the two games without conceding against Atletico of course they need a little bit of luck with of course Griezmann hitting the, uh, the, the, the crossbar with that penalty in the, in the first game the, 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 the interesting thing about them is the, the, the shape was a given in recent years you, you know you look at everything they do in midfield is through Hans Vanneken and Ruud Forma now, Vanneken's still the captain. Vorma didn't didn't play last night, wasn't playing. So, you know, I, I couldn't have seen them going and getting a result without them two in midfield if, if, if we go back a couple of years. Um, so I think what they've what they've been able to do is 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 really impressive. And they they, they have look assured, they have looked assured and they've not stolen any of the results. But also I would feel it seems harsh. I'd feel a little bit more confident in their longevity going into the back end. I mean, obviously, it's completely draw dependent. But if they still had Philippe Clement as coach, he's an absolutely terrific coach. And he's gone on to do a really good job at Monaco after going and joining their last season. Carl Hufkins has come in and made a huge name for himself. He's done terrifically well so far. But that's the point, isn't it, really? 
they're playing with house money. Like having got beyond the the group stage, which is not just amazing for them, it's, it's amazing for Belgian club football, yeah. really. It's completely unexpected. So everything they do from here, it's a, it's a cliche, but it is a bonus. So you're saying they're not going to go very far. I mean, I'm just trying to interpret what you're saying. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think that's unfair. I think um, that they will have made people sit up by how solid they've, they've, they've looked in the in the group so far. Well, they're only third in the Belgium League, doing much better in the Champions League. Watch this space. We can't avoid talking about Atletico and also the permanent signing now of Antoine Griezmann, uh, their talisman to a certain extent. We know how much he costs, but this question from Simon on Twitter, uh, directly to you, David, why do Atletico Madrid hate the Champions League so much? (laughs) Keep shooting themselves in the foot every time they're in it. I'd go bigger than that. I'd just say, why do they look like they hate football so much? (laughs) If you you watch watch them play, it doesn't really look like they want to be there anymore um, and I'm not surprised really um, the way that they I think it's, this is an ongoing issue for the past few years now nothing has really changed I think most clubs would identify an issue or a problem and then attempt to rectify it in some way I don't think Atleti have they've just kind of hoped it would get better the next year and it's not getting better and there's no signs of it actually changing either It's funny um, because of the, the Griezmann permanent re-signing which has obviously happened this week which to an extent, like backs what Atletico have done in mm. kind of hardballing Barcelona. It feels to me that it's come at a price. They've saved some money, but in terms of atmosphere, in terms of lack of stability, yeah. in terms of really a top club, like having a muck about with a lineup like this. And it feels to me also like a bit of a sticking plaster for the Simeone regime. Because Griezmann's still a great player. He still continues to be useful. I think because of the extra bit that he's got in the tank, like I was saying the other week, I think he might turn out to be one of the best players Mm -hmm. at the World Cup. But because he's such a Simeone loyalist, it feels as if it's just a placebo to make us think that everything's all right. But, with the regime. But we've been here before. They did it with Diego Costa. They brought back a broken mm. Diego Costa from Chelsea. They paid a lot of money because yeah. they thought he would be that stick and plaster, the little band-aid that would, until everything sorted out and it'll be like, oh, we'll get Costa back. We'll have a striker again. We'll score goals. Everything will be okay. Didn't happen. I guess my, my question is, I mean, in terms of what he's still got in the tank, ability-wise, yes. he's more the Philippe Louis end of the market, if we're talking about uh, Ad- mm-hmm. Adeletti re-signings, I would mm-hmm. say. I guess the problem is, if you're looking at everything that happened, I mean, maybe you can explain to people who might not have watched the game what happened with Joao Felix. Yeah. I mean, is he stopping Joao Felix getting in the team? And how is this situation between Joao Felix and Simeone sustainable I mean it's not is it yeah I mean look Simeone described what happened was Jal Felix was on the bench Atleti had one substitution left they needed to well, they needed to win the game I think to you know to, to make sure that they go through in the Champions League um, admittedly if they lost it then okay they were almost certainly out but Simeone being, being Simeone decided to go for the latter he brought on Witzel for Griezmann in his final substitution Joao Felix had been called out to warm up three times. This was the third time. He was down the touchline. He ripped off his bib, threw it on the floor. He gave the iciest stare that you could possibly give to Simeone. Brave man. Not something I would do, but anyway. He then, <laughs> game finishes. The rest of the Atleti team go out. They applaud the fans that are there. 
and it must have been when he was in the dressing room but it comes up that he's liked a tweet from a Benfica fan account his former club of course mm-hmm. basically saying come home we still love you so he's liked that when he was in the dressing room clearly straight away after the game all this comes out on Twitter and yeah it just adds to an already very wafer thin troubled situation with Jao Felix um, a player over the last four or five games has played uh, 29 minutes yeah that's it, shocking he's not that's part of things shocking. this is a player who on his day I think is I've waxed lyrical about him before I think he's an unbelievable talent I think he's fantastic well he was you're offended by well, this aren't course, you Don? I'm totally offended by this because <laughs> I love the player myself and he was seen a couple of years yeah. ago as being the brightest young spark in European football yeah. you know and he yeah. could do tricks and everything yeah. else if they don't fancy him as it were mm-hmm. why don't they move him on or is the problem really um, moving the coach on well part part of the I think there are two issues there um, firstly they kind of can't sell him at the moment because they've diminished his value yeah they're, they're not getting if they sold him tomorrow not just because of the way the transfer market's gone they're not getting back yeah. half of what they paid and for him. And Atleti can't afford to undersell anyone. Their financial situation is extremely precarious. Like I've said in this show before, if Barcelona hadn't stole the limelight in terms of having bad finances and being badly ruined, everybody would have been talking about Atleti over the summer. And with that in mind, of course, we haven't given Juventus uh, a mention for their defeat at Maccabee Haifa <laughs> yes. this, this week. A lot of people ask him, well, you know, are they going to bin Max Allegri? They can't afford to. So where does that leave? In terms of the second part of your question, Atletico and Simeone, how do they, even if they can ideologically, even if the board can ideologically get their heads around firing him, mm-hmm. how can they afford it? They they simply can't. The yeah, Juve Atleti have put themselves in these positions. And, you know, it's an old cliche phrase, but they've chose to live by the sword. So they are right now slowly dying by it. I do wonder who has the better chances in the Champions League, whether it be Atleti or Club Brugge. I thought you were going to say Juventus. I gave you a chance. I gave you a chance at the top of the programme to bring in other things that caught your eye. You didn't say a word about the Maccabees. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's too much to talk about this yeah, week. I know, I know. Um, so, Brugge or Atleti? I, I don't even know if Atleti are getting to the last 16. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, neither do I. I'm not convinced. Yeah. Watch this space. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. We could say, here we go again. But Nathan on Twitter says it even better for us all. Are you lot as fed up of the Kylian Mbappe nonsense as the rest of us? Uh, it's the continuing story of who runs PSG, really. But Nathan, Andy. this is a, a, a ledge beneath the hedge, to <laughs> quote Bill Hex. This, yes. is, this is something, something new and something... I wouldn't say that it's totally shocking and unexpected. The timing of it is is, is perhaps a, a, a little abrupt. So to reiterate, um, you may have seen this week that um, multiple reports that Kylian Mbappe wants to leave PSG as soon as January. I think to an extent... It's just ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. First, firstly, he knows intellectually that that is not happening. That is, that is absolutely not happening. But we've kind of been moving in this direction with a couple of things. Firstly, the relationship between him and Neymar, which is, you know, a marriage of convenience at the very best. Um, secondly, um, we've got the fact that there was the reveal a couple of weeks ago that we talked about on here that is not a three-year contract that he signed, but a two plus one. So essentially, if he wants, he's got a year left on his contract at the end of this season. So the saga starts up all over again and that and you know there's been a, a, a again reports of what we talked about before about Erling Haaland's release clause available in 2024 to uh, to um, uh, overseas clubs non-English clubs um, going on from there it's, it's clear that, that, that young players well, and these two young superstars who we think will go on to be, become the two best players in the world want a different sort of attorney over their futures going forward. Having said that, it's not the issue of them having it, it's how they use that power. Mbappe, even before we get to this point, and Nathan makes a good point, he's dropped the ball on a couple of occasions here. I think the first major dropping of the ball is, well, clearly he regrets re-signing for PSG in the first place. I mean, he should have checked the small print. How were they ever going to get rid of Neymar? If that's something that he's not happy with, and I think someone, as we said, of of, of that level of 
football fandom and intelligence. He's a total football anorak. Mm-hmm. And Mbappe and is, is is worth pointing out. But the stumbling block with Neymar is his is his salary, isn't it? Yeah, the, 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 yeah. That you can't you can't get rid of him. Now, his his performance has been excellent this season, but I do think it's 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 a bit disingenuous to look at the start of the season and say why would Mbappe have a complaint because um, Messi and Neymar have played brilliantly so far this season. Well, firstly, it's the start of the season. It's what they do at the end of the season that's the most important thing. And it's it's his job to look, and everyone's job at PSG to look beyond that and how they're going to get to a point where they win the Champions League. The second part of that is how will Messi and Neymar be after the World Cup? Big question mark. Naked. Yeah. And thirdly, I think we all know that they're not really going to win the Champions League with that front three. But then again, that's what he signed up for. He knew that at the start of the season. Now, everything pointed, David, to him going to Real Madrid. You think he realises that he's made a mistake now? Oh, absolutely. I think, he go, of, of course, yeah. I, I, I mean, think he's dealt with it really badly. Yeah, he's, dead, he's dealt with it terribly, but he's young. I don't know who he's got around him in terms of his advisors and what have you. I don't know who's given them the, the best advice. But we but, all knew, though, didn't we? We all knew that he'd made the wrong choice. When Real Madrid comes yeah, knocking and course, you chose PSG, it wasn't, you know, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that. Of course, but PSG offered them a lot of power, power that Real Madrid wouldn't give them because there's somebody else at Real Madrid who's got a lot of power and he's upstairs, Florentino Perez. Is, is that sort of power ever good for a player? Never. Never. I think he can be influential. You can guide mm. things and say, you know, this and that. Wouldn't mind if we had this and that. That's fine. But there's a level of power. If you've got power in the dressing room, like your 90s Man United team, Roy Keane, David Beckham, class of 92, had power in the dressing room. That's good power. That's guidance. That's professionalism. That's, that's collective yeah, power. Of course it is. Yeah, absolutely. This is different. This is individual power. Veering on cliquey. Veering on toxic and it doesn't bring everyone together. I think it distances you from people, if anything. Um, it distances you from your teammates, from your fans. I think that's really important, actually. That, that his his status in the dressing room is, yeah. is is clearly changing. And it does create a gap between but, him and his teammates, which is not healthy. Look at his public persona right now as well. Ask the casual football fan what you think of Mbappe. Brilliant mm. player, but God, he seems like a bit of a toxic guy. Mm. and that's people who don't really know his situation well that's the vibe he has given off to people obviously mm. it, it, you know, obviously, yeah. other people know things say you follow French football then you know inside maybe you know that he isn't that bad of a guy he's still like a little bit you know he's got a bit of ego there of course but you ask anybody and they'll probably tell you right now yeah he seems a bit of a toxic he seems a bit of a prick to be honest with you that's not the vibe yeah. you want to be given off yeah and, and, and not having people to answer back to you is not good for anyone Exactly. It's, 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 it's really not. I mean, it's it's a huge problem. I, I just wonder how PSG deal with this going forward because you had Luis Campos saying a couple of weeks ago that, you know, maybe it wasn't the best idea to sign Mbappe and and, and, and uh, Neymar in the, in the same summer. I mean, you know, I, I, that's just an attempt to distance himself from some of the issues at the club that are kind of undoable at the moment that, mm-hmm. that he can't really have an influence on him, probably stymie him from doing his job, which has been decent so far, you would have to say, in the in, in the recruit, recruitment sense so far. I think one of the most interesting things with PSG is how this week it was announced that they've bought a 20, or QSI, uh, who own PSG, bought a 22% stake in Braga. Now, again, this is not a big shock. This is kind of flagged by the fact that they lent a couple of young players to Braga 
at the start of the summer, they will be hoping for preferential options on some of Braga's stars. And Braga are better at producing their own players, a bit like Shakhtar have become better at producing their own players in, in, in recent years. And, um, you know, maybe we'll end up with two Vitinhas at um, PSG because the, 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 the Vitinha from Braga, as Portuguese co- Portugal coach Fernando Santos calls him, is, is, is playing really well at the moment. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him rock up there at some point. But this idea that maybe, you know, when the, you go back and you see PSG losing in the semifinals of the Champions League against... Um, Manchester City um, the year before last and you think at that point what they've done with similar resources Manchester City and PSG is very different maybe PSG are looking and you know this is obviously the birth of some sort of multi-club model like the City Football Group or like Red Bull or, or, or whatever maybe that's their more organic way of doing things maybe they're having a little look at Manchester City and saying actually, maybe now we've put ourselves on the map from buying superstars. Maybe that stops now. Maybe we're more sensible. Maybe we buy cast iron quality rather than superstar names for every position. Because the summer transfer window that PSG have had is, is definitely more Manchester City than them under yeah, Lewis Campos, I isn't think it? so. Yeah, yeah. Look, Man City get a lot of criticism, of course, when, when the type of money comes into football, mm. you inevitably get a lot of criticism. But in terms of setting up a club for the future... They did everything right in terms of the team that they installed behind the scenes, the likes of Tiki Bergestein, uh, the way they looked at getting a sporting director in. They, you know, they gradually, they had a few errors at the start, I think, but, you know, you saw them learn later on when they wanted Pep. They Their ultimate goal was to get Pep and they put a plan and a structure in place for when Pep came. Mm. It was almost like Barcelona light that he had already in place there and then the success that has followed is is there for all to see. QSI didn't really do that. I think, you know, they've been through several projects now. I've lost count of how many projects they've been. And what we're here, we're in October and there's also, there's already talk of, of another one falling apart. Gaultier might go, Campos might go, as well as Mbappe as well. And I'm thinking, and it was my first thought, I was thinking, God, do QSI, QSI just not just want to go? How many t- more times, how many more redos can they do? I mean, it must be draining. They've got a lot of money. Go and spend your money elsewhere. There's a lot better ways to spend your money than, than fussing on with this team when clearly there's something inherently wrong. And they can, I think they can walk away and say that um, the project's been a success. They've established PSG in France once again. They've won a lot of league on titles. They've won a lot of cups. They are, yes, they haven't won the Champions League, but they're re-established in Europe as a, as a major club. They're back on the map. Everybody knows who PSG are. Before they came in, nobody really, they were, they were knocking about with average players. You know, so I think the project has been a success and they can walk away happy with that. Um, I just don't see what the redo is, how how they get around this. If they get Mbappe, they sell Mbappe, they get 400, 500 million. Then what do you do? Reinvest that in? Your next big French stars are already gone. Camavinga and Chouameni are at Real Madrid. I don't know where you build the club around anymore. Neymar, agent, Messi, agent, clearly wants to go back to Barcelona mm. when they're sorted out. I don't know what Neymar wants to do. You know, I don't know where they build their next project on if this particular one falls apart. And like I say, I think Braga might be that nice outlet for them to try something new in a different model. Talking about trying something new, this question from Jordan on Twitter. Are you able to talk about Laurent Blanc being appointed Leon manager? Seems like a really interesting appointment to me with his previous coaching jobs and experience. What were his previous coaching jobs and experience, Andy? Well, you know, Dotton... Um 
I, I think you've done quite a job presenting Laurent Blanc as something as something new there. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. Of of course, for Leon, yeah, yeah new for Leon. That's fair to say. Um, they they got rid of Peter Bosch because they had to. Um, you know, you know, there people liked him on a personal and ideological level at the club, but let's be honest, we've seen it time and again. He's not a top level coach. Um, and they've dug a hole that's going to be very difficult for them to get out of. I think it's disappointing to an extent because there are lots of big names out there, lots of, not big names, but interesting names out there that they they could have had a go for. Uh, Marcelo Gallardo, who they've been interested in for a while, is almost out of contract at River Plate. I wondered if they'd make a little go for him. I think it was going so badly under Bosch that they had to do something now. That was maybe the issue. Um, they, they always dreamed of of getting Blanc. And, you know, I think you look at the high points, some of the coaching with France, definitely with Bordeaux, he was fantastic. And PSG played some really great football under him. That's easily forgotten, actually, um, as, as they started to establish themselves as a, as, as a big side. I really liked his Bordeaux side as well, should be said. Yeah, the oh, they, side they, were great. Yeah. Yeah. they were great. Yeah. They were great. But it's a long time ago now. Mm. There's um, that's like nearly six and a half years since he coached in Europe. Apart from that, little little spell out in Qatar and, and, and that's it. So he's quite determined to dispel this sense that he's been in the Middle East just basically playing golf for the last couple of years. Um, As you do. And, you know, I, th- I think he's, he's, he's got a few challenges to meet, certainly in terms of restoring his reputation. I mean, he was involved in, when he was in, in, um, in charge of France, he was involved in a racism scandal. He was involved in a sexism scandal when he was um, at, at PSG. In terms of his image... And in terms of the fact that he's been away from the game for for a while, he has got a lot to do. And also, he's taken over a team which Bosch didn't really make do that much physical training. So, God, they're out of condition. Mm. So, th- th- those those are a few issues. But if he can get Leon into the top three at the end of the season, which I think is an enormous ask, but but he has got some good players at his, his disposal, that would be an enormous feather in his cap. It's the point at which we ask you both to recommend a game of the week for us. Uh, David, yours is, I suppose, just obvious, isn't it? Yeah, uh, El Clasico. Yes. There's nowhere else to look. Um, and there was already a lot of intrigue uh, with this one, with them both be with both Barcelona and Real Madrid being uh, level at the top. Barcelona just ahead on goal difference uh, because of their fantastic defensive record. Um but yeah, with Barcelona's loss midweek, again, there's a lot of you know intrigue in terms of how they reacted to that. Um, you know, as soon as that game was finished, I'm sure Xavi was saying, come on, let's look on to the next one. We've got another massive game. Let's not dwell on this too much. Let's not feel sorry for ourselves because we could be really feeling sorry for ourselves in a few days if we get hammered by Real Madrid and then the season's looking in tatters. Um, because if Real Madrid were to take a lead at the top, you know, it'd be very, very difficult to usurp them because they're that just solid and, and and safe, I think, under Ancelotti. So, yeah, for the for the main part, it's just how Barcelona react. I think that's what everyone's wanting to see. This is a big, big test for Xavi early on in his uh, Barcelona career as a manager. And, and you being our resident uh, Great British Bake Off uh, contestant, what would you... <laughs> well, you are. Uh, you are. And I can tell people more about that another time, but what would you recommend to go with that? I think just generally, I mean, I'm not even going to recommend one tapas. I think you just have... Uh, you, <laughs> 
you just have tapas and a, a nice bottle of uh, Albarino, Spanish white wine from the north. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're going wine recommendations. Yeah, well. yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is incredible. <laughs> Next level, David. Next level. You, should... You're going to recommend us some tea, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, actually, you should say that because I, I'm going for a Sunday evening match. Oh. So after you've had the the wine during El Clasico, you know, just <laughs> the wine. just 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 get a, just get a nice Turkish tea and in time for Le Classique in the yeah. evening. PSG versus Marseille um, at, at seven forty five, and I think especially with with Marseille having um, picked up under Igor Tudor, shock defeat, first defeat of the domestic season last weekend at home to Ajaxio. I'm still not sure how they manage that. If if you'd have picked who was going to be their first loss of the season you wouldn't have picked the team with the lowest budget in the in the division but uh, you know Ajaxo did a great job to win at Velodrome um the Marseille great win at Sporting again against 10 men in um, well eventually nine men in in the in the Champions League this week they've got the Champions League campaign which was a right off right back on track with those two wins against Sporting. You're seeing great leadership roles from Alexis, Matteo Genduzzi, again, who's been brilliant again for them this season. They're in a good place. I think, especially with the sort of disquiet in the background at PSG, I think there's a very interesting classic to be had. And you're going to eat what with it? With with the tea? Oh, well, tea and cake, isn't it? Whatever David's well, baking. Okay. Whatever David's Whatever baking. baking. That's a, the right answer. Uh, save some for me. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.